It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Welcome to Discover Your Spiritual Identity. One of the first things that an infant learns to recognize and respond to is the sound of his or her own name. And that builds identity in that child from the very beginning. Well, one of the first things children of God should learn to recognize and respond to is the revelation of our God-given names, because that's building identity in us from the beginning of our spiritual walk. There's over a thousand names and titles that belong to us, and each one is uniquely important. On this particular episode, I'm going to be focusing on our calling to be the rich of the earth. Yes, you heard me correctly. The scripture reveals that we are the rich of the earth. That's Psalms 22, verse 29, the NIV version. Now, the last two episodes, I have focused on our calling to be the prosperous of the earth. And that's the New King James Version of the same passage. So I thought it was very appropriate and would be very helpful for me to expand beyond the last two episodes into this unique category of revelation, that we are the rich of the earth, which is basically saying that we have abundance in God, because the definition of the word rich is to have abundance, or to possess that which is of high quality or above normal. And so, I'm not even talking about money or material possessions. I'm talking about something of much greater value. Jesus called it true riches because you can have all the riches of the world and die a very miserable and unfulfilled person, but you cannot possess true riches without finding joy and fulfillment and purpose in the process. And so this is going to be a very edifying episode. But let's go back to the beginning, just like we did on the last two episodes. We've got to see the context of this scripture. It is Psalm 22, which graphically describes the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1 starts out with one of the seven last statements on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. How humiliating that was. And then verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. How horrible, how torturous their treatment of the Son of God was. But then after describing the horror of what he went through, the latter part of the psalm describes the wonderful results of the pain, the suffering that he endured. And it ends up by saying, all the rich of the earth will feast and worship. And so the connection there is that anyone who goes to Calvary, anyone who connects with the crucified Savior to receive forgiveness of sin, cleansing of the soul, 
the gift of eternal life, is going to be made rich as a result. Now, there is no greater scripture that describes this transaction any better than 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. So powerful. Listen to it closely. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, what's that really talking about, that even though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor. Well, he was rich in the celestial glory of heaven. He was rich in unrestricted fellowship with the Father. He was rich in the adoration of angels that surrounded him in the heavenly world. He was rich in, in peace that was undisturbed. He was rich in all the glory of the realm of paradise, and yet he divested himself of all those heavenly riches to come down into the poverty-stricken form of human flesh. And he became more poor than any other time in a symbolic sense when he was on the cross and the Spirit of God took his departure from him and he became sin for us. And at that moment, he was reduced to abject poverty spiritually. What a horrid thing. What a troubling thing. What a grief that he would have to go through that. But if we connect with him at that point where he became sin for us, then we become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so we come to him poverty-stricken, soulishly, spiritually. We are bankrupt, bankrupt morally, bankrupt in every way. There's no way that we can in any way earn fellowship with the God of the universe. We could never become good enough or perfect enough. So we come to him bankrupt, reduced to helplessness and hopelessness. But when we meet him at the cross, he pours the riches of who he is and what he grants to those who become his offspring right into the deepest part of our soul. And from that point forward, everything changes. No wonder the Bible says that there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. And that's Romans chapter 10, verse 12. Another favorite scripture of mine is Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. In all the years I've been traveling, from time to time, I've met some very wealthy people. And this isn't always the case, but sometimes those who are wealthy and do not know the Lord are some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life. Completely unfulfilled, so unhappy, even though they have everything physically or materially a person could want for, but none of those things satisfy the soul. Only union with God, only a covenant connection with the Creator can really provide the riches that are enduring, not riches that pass away, not riches that are corrupted by rust and eaten by moths, but the riches that this world cannot steal from you and cannot 
destroy in any way. Now let's touch on those riches right now. First of all, a good place to start is Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And that particular verse encourages us not to despise or take lightly, in essence, the riches of God's goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And so the beginning point right now is that God makes us rich with his goodness by quickening conviction in our hearts, by giving us godly sorrow or giving us a sense of the need we have for God that makes us desire to repent of our sins and convicts us of the horridness of our behavior that is contrary to the will of God. Thank God. That's a sign God's dealing with you. The Bible said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He shows us what we are. Then he shows us what we should be. And then he shows us that the enemy is defeated so we can accomplish our goal. He convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Praise God for that. And so the first way he makes us rich with the riches of his goodness is to lead us to repentance through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he makes us rich with his forbearance and long suffering because he could have cut us off. Now, not everyone fits in this description, but many of us walked in deep darkness before we found the Lord. And he could have turned his back on us completely, but instead he poured out the riches of his forbearance and the riches of his long suffering. I don't know about you, but I feel like lifting my hands and thanking God and praising God. My life was not something that God would have shined on with his favor prior to salvation. I was a rock musician as a teenager, and that led me into deep darkness. And then I got caught in false religions. I was a teacher of yoga at four universities and trapped in false ideas about spirituality and God. I ran a yoga ashram. I, I believed in the pantheon of Hindu gods. And then, thank God, I found out there's one true God. Uh, but God was so long-suffering with me. He could have separated himself from me eternally because of my error, but instead he was long-suffering. Next, I love James chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? Rich in faith. See, you may not think of yourself as a rich person. You may be struggling just to get by, struggling to pay your bills from week to week, struggling to make sure you still have a trailer or a house to live in or a car to drive to work. You don't see yourself as rich. But some of the wealthiest people in this world do not have the faith you have in the Bible and in the God of the Bible and in the Savior that the Bible tells us about. And if you have faith that cannot be shaken in the resurrected Jesus Christ who conquered death, conquered sin, conquered hell, conquered the grave, and then he passed to you the status of being more than a conqueror, and you believe in that, you are rich indeed, child of God. 
And that's a treasure that you need to give away to others, rich in faith. No matter what trouble you face in life, no matter what discouragement you face in life, you can reach down into this treasury of faith within your heart of hearts and dare to smile and dare to rejoice and dare to believe and dare to expect God to move in your behalf. How wonderful is that? The Bible also declares that you are rich in God's grace. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. In other words, some might criticize God and say, well, you've been too lavish in pouring out love on that person. Look at where they've come from. But God doesn't consider it wasteful to pour out his love on broken, beat-down, sin-darkened, demonically oppressed people. He considers it wisdom and prudence that he would distribute the riches of his grace to those who are least worthy of it. In fact, the Bible says that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. You show me the worst sinner that you've ever met in your life, and I'll show you someone who is not outside the reach of God's grace. He's rich in grace toward us. And what is grace? Grace is many different things all combined together into one. It's number one, unmerited love. Number two, divinely imparted ability. Number three, God's generosity toward us. And number four, it's the sum total of everything God is doing in our lives, in us and through us. It's all grace. It's one of the most comprehensive terms in the Bible. And the scripture says God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. What a powerful verse that is, that God is able to make how much grace? All grace abound towards you. How much grace is that? It's an infinitely inexhaustible supply. Grace is just as inexhaustible as the God who gives it. There's no limit to his depth. There's no limit to the depth of his love. And there's no limit to the grace that he gives. Next, you can be rich in the word of God. This is an area of wealth, though, that is dependent upon your choice. You've got to choose to be rich in the word. Colossians 3.16 puts it this way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So that makes me think that a person who is rich in the word is probably recognizable by the joy that is overflowing his or her life. They're singing with grace in their hearts to the Lord. They're constantly teaching people they come in contact with, sharing the word with others. That's how you become rich in the kingdom of God, not by hoarding it, but by giving it away. Because as you give it away, it multiplies inside of you. 
just like the apostles of the Lamb who went out into the crowd with little bits of five loaves and two fishes, and as they gave it away, it multiplied. I guarantee you they weren't carrying enough to feed 5,000 men, and God only knows how many women and children. It could have been 15, 20,000 people that ate that day. They couldn't have carried the whole load for that whole crowd the moment they walked out from Jesus' presence. But as they went, it multiplied in their arms. And isn't that the way it works with you and I? As we share the word with others, we deliver our own soul. As we give them joy, we receive joy. As we give them wisdom, we receive more wisdom because God anoints us with revelation knowledge as we're sharing revelation with others. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. Now the next one is very profound. Romans 9 verse 22 and 23 says, What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. And then verse 23 is the key verse, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. You ought to be lifting your hands and shouting praises to God right now, that you are rich in the glory of God. How intense is that? Well, what is the glory? It's another rich Bible word that covers a lot of territory, but first and fundamentally, the glory of God is his manifest presence. So to be rich in the glory of God is to be sensitive to, aware of, and connected to the presence of the Almighty God. But the glory of God is also the perfection of his character. For instance, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, the glory of God is that he is perfect in all his ways. He is perfect love, perfect holiness, perfect peace, perfect joy, perfect forgiveness, perfect humility. In every desirable character trait, he is the perfection of that. And if he's poured out the riches of his glory in your life, he's poured all his divine attributes into your life. The Bible says we are partakers of the divine nature. And the fruit of the Spirit that grows out of us is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. The divine personality nothing could make you any richer than being able to overcome the fallen nature by something totally its opposite. And I guarantee you the positive outweighs the negative. I have a couple of other scriptures I want to share with you that are so important. In Romans chapter 11, it talks about how the gospel in the beginning went out to the Gentile world and many Jewish people rejected it. Now, the early church was completely Jewish, and you should never divorce yourself from your Israeli or Jewish or Abrahamic roots. When you're saved, born again, you are grafted into the Israel of God. And somehow, somewhere along the journey of the church, it lost its knowledge of that Abrahamic connection. But we do see that certain point in history where the majority of the church was of Gentile origin. 
and many Jews did not receive the message of the gospel. But Romans eleven twelve says it this way, and I want you to listen very closely. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, in other words, because they shut the door against this message of the Messiah, Yeshua, many of them did. Not all of them, but many of them did. There was a huge church in Jerusalem about 70 AD when they scattered into all the world. But if their fall meant riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, listen to this next statement, how much more their fullness. And that's exactly where we're at right now prophetically. We are in the hour where multitudes of precious Jewish brothers and sisters are coming to the Lord and recognizing that Jesus is the Mashiach, the Messiah. It's intensifying. I have dear friends in Israel who are presenting the gospel to the Jewish people, and many of them are responding positively. Praise God. So if the fall of Israel meant riches for the world and riches for the Gentile, how much more their fullness. I believe we're coming into a time where all of Israel will recognize Jesus as the Messiah. As we near the very end of this age, when he descends, when he comes back, the Bible said they will look on him whom they pierced and mourn for him. If it doesn't happen up to that time, at the moment of his return, there will be a sweeping revelation that, yes, it was truly the Messiah. But if the riches of God pass to the Gentiles through the fall of Israel, how much more will there be a parallel when Israel comes back into this revelation knowledge in the last days? The church is going to be lifted to a pinnacle of glory as we have never walked in before. I believe that with all my heart. Praise God. Now, I've got one last scripture I want to share with you, and that's Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. You are not the only one being made rich during this earthly sojourn. We read in the book of Revelation where John visits the heavenly throne room, and he hears a choir of a multitude of angels and the 24 elders crying aloud, saying, Worthy is the Lamb! who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Seven things. Worthy is the Lamb, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Well, I thought he owned it all. How could he become more rich through the sacrifice of his life on Calvary? Because through that purchase price, he paid the necessary payment so that our sins could be canceled so that the Spirit of God could come back into the hearts of human beings, so that he could bring out of the human race a bride to whom he will be married eternally, with whom he will be one eternally as the husband, the bridegroom, married to his bride. He will be enriched by the relationship 
that he has with us. That's how he will be made richer in the end than he was in the beginning. How intense is that? And if the thing that makes him most rich is relationship, then the thing that makes you most rich is your relationship with him. Yes, you are one of the rich of the earth. It's important for you to see yourself as God sees you and then start boldly confessing it, boldly claiming it, and then walking in it with utmost confidence because you know your life is built on a foundation of the Word of God. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.